This fall, uh, we have been going through a series of, uh, if you've been around here, you know we've been going through this series on is change is possible, and if it's possible, how does it happen, and what does that look like in church, and, and we've been in Second Peter chapter 1, where we've been talking about some really amazing stuff. Peter, in that first part of that section, says we've been given everything we need for life and godliness which we've talked about the astounding, radical, uh, oversell proposition that sounds like. You know, that he's given, God's really given us everything we need for life and godliness. We've also talked about that uh, a lot of us as Christians don't live like that. So uh, what's going on? If that's true, but that's not a reality in my own life. And we talked about that Peter goes on to explain when we participate with God, when we participate with the divine, through faith, we begin to see that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Matter of fact, this giving everything we need for life and godliness is the transformation, that we've already been transformed. That's why when Scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's not talking about, you know, hanging on by your fingertips that you don't lose that you've been saved. What it's talking about is in reverence and trembling anticipation Work to the surface that which has already been transformed within you. In other words, open your eyes to see what's already happened. Open your eyes to see what you have and step into that. So what we're doing now, we finished that passage in Second Peter, but for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talk, we're going to be taking, we're going to, we're going to take something and say, how does a transformed person deal with that? And what we're going to take is money. What does that look like for a transformed person? See, what we really believe here and what Scripture teaches is if I don't believe that I've been transformed, I'll go into the world looking for transformation. If I don't believe that God's given me everything, then I'm going to go out into the world looking for something that will give me everything. I don't care. It could be your calling. You know, it could be school. It could be your grades. You know, it could be friendships. You're demanding that your friendships give you transformation or give you everything. It could be your own sexuality. You could say, I'm demanding from my sexuality that it give me life. Or it could be, you know, your singleness, that you're demanding being single produce something for you that that you want. Or married life. You know, or even our own desires. We can say, we want from our desires this transformed life. And we often talk about in Ephesians chapter 3 where it talks about that God's love, uh, you know, if we could just grasp the height. What is it? The height. I always forget the order. The height, uh, how fat it is. No, that's not it. Uh, what? Width. Okay, what else? Y'all don't know it either. Where are we? Width. Okay, if we were able to grasp width, Breath, all right? Let's say it's big, all right? If we can get our arms around it, what does the Scripture says will happen to us? Does anybody know? Has anybody memorized that? Is there a navigator in this crowd? Ooh, she must be a preacher's wife. <laughs> Filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. Think about this, that if I, if I could be... If I could grasp God's love, in other words, I'd be filled to the full, which means that when I walk out that door, I don't go out into that world saying, I'm empty, somebody love me. I'm going out into that world saying, I am full, 
And I engage the, the world that I live in as one who is loved rather than one that's desperately looking to be loved. So we talked about that last week, and I actually began to quote a modern-day theologian, Bruno Mars. Y'all remember that? You know, his song, Grenade, that, 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 and I thought, we, we've got to hear it. You've got to turn it up, man. Oh. Y'all know this song? Bruno's got the whole air that goes up like that, you know? He is so cool. Like, it's just like, you know? And then he, hang on. You know what this song is about? It's not, the, the catchphrase is, I'll, take, I'll catch a grenade for you. I'll throw my hand on the blade for you. I'll throw myself in front of the train for you. I'll take a bullet through the brain for you, you know? But before all that, what this song is really about is, you don't love me enough. The song to his girlfriend and says, because you give me all your loving is all I've ever asked. You hear that? Honey, this is all I want from you. All your love. Everything. Look what I would do for you. I'm obsessed with you. Why aren't you obsessed with me? See, if God doesn't love me enough, let me tell you what's going to happen. If I do not believe that God loves me enough, if I don't believe what we've been talking about for the last eight weeks, guess what? I'm going to go find another God. And I am, I am so wired. I'm so gifted at finding another God. I'm, I'm really wired that way. And so when we talk about money, Next week, we're going to talk about generosity, and the week after that, we're going to talk about this whole tithe thing. But before we get into it, we've got to ask ourselves, is this an issue of the heart? Is money an issue of the heart? See, we either have money or money has us. And if it has us, it has us by the throat. Let's see what Jesus has to say about money. In Matthew chapter 6, it says, no one can serve two masters. Odd. Jesus would call these two masters, either hate the one and love the other, or he'd be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't know in Scripture where it's more clear where Jesus has taken a particular issue and has pitted it diametrically opposed to God. You cannot serve both God and money. So why would Jesus choose money to be the one thing that he singles out to put in this sentence? Well, I, I can't tell you I know for sure, but let me give you my best guess. Because they both promise the same thing. Think about this. Money loves to come in and whisper, I will give you everything you need for life. It's so deceptive. And it's so deceptive that it comes in, it's so sweet. Because, hey, you know, it's really, it's obvious, like, if you broke into my house and you stole my leaf blower, my new leaf blower, which I'll tell you about in a minute, uh, what do we call that? If you come and, yes, theft. Another word for that is burglary. I mean, sin, robbery. We know that stealing is wrong. It's pretty clear. And we know what stealing looks like. But what does greed look like in your life? What does it look like when you just, when you stepped over the line from wanting to being greedy? What does that, I mean, think about that. When was the last time you heard somebody stand up in front of church and say, I want to give you a testimony about my struggle with greed? 
It's so slippery. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, Jesus tells us something here that's a clue that we need to begin to understand about our whole lives. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, you've got to be very careful that you see the order that Jesus put this in. Because I live in a world where I believe that where my, if I find your heart, that's where I'm going to find your treasure. That your treasure is always going to follow your heart. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not true. That what you put in front of your heart, your heart will wrap itself around and say, treasure. Really? See, magic kind of has some voodoo power to it. Or money does. Money has kind of this voodoo magic that has a clever way of positioning itself in all kinds of different disguises in front of me, asking my heart to wrap its affections around it. I mean, think about this. Have you ever, uh, have you ever gone shopping and gotten some new clothes and felt good about the way you look? Have you ever looked in the mirror and seen something, a jacket or a pair of pants or whatever, that you thought, I, I actually feel something here. And you look in the mirror and you go, whoo, yes, you are special. When I was a kid, uh, I, you know, we felt that first initial surge at, at a purchase of a new item of clothing uh, when we got tennis shoes. And as little kids, I remember we'd get brand new tennis shoes, and literally we'd run around the block because we were convinced with these on my feet, I am the fastest human on the planet, you know? And we'd just feel so good. We'd jump, like, watch me jump. Can I jump higher with these on, you know? As kids, we just thought, but we were subtly starting to say, you know what feels so good about this? Something new that makes me feel good, heart, treasure. I love you. What buys clothes? How about this one? How about, uh, are you saving money for the future? It'd be really funny for me to put a retirement plan up here and for us to talk about your IRA. IRA. And is there anything wrong with doing that? Nothing at all. But what happens if I begin to subtly believe that money and enough money is going to allow me to rest when I retire. If I can just get enough money in the bank, then I'll have, listen to this, peace of mind that when I retire, I'll be taken care of. In other words, if I could just put a certain number in a bank account, dependent upon some arbitrary formula that I've calculated with somebody that I'm paying to do this, if I can get that number in the account... I'll have a peace of mind if I just have enough. Think about power. You like power? I think you like power. Because when you leave here today, you're going to go eat lunch? Some of you will. And some of you will actually go and pay for your lunch. You will go to a restaurant, all right, for college students. That's a place where you give them money and they give you food, all right? When you get out of college, you'll understand. You know, that when we go, when we go out this afternoon, where are you going to go? How many of you pull in your, reach in your pocket and pull out, how much money do I have? You know, what power is, is the ability to have choices. Some of you 
you can go anywhere you want to go in Nashville today to eat lunch. That the only thing that limits you is what do you want, not what do you have. Because when what I have grows, it makes what I want possible, right? So power is the power of choice. What's the problem with people that have no money? They have fewer options. They have less power. See, the deceptiveness of the good feeling of power is that we begin to believe that if I'm self-sufficient, that's a better place to be than community-dependent. That if I have everything I need, that's a better place than to be in a place where I, where I need something. Think about this. I don't know any rich people that, uh, that want to uh, come and use my leaf blower. I don't know anybody that has plenty of money that's calling me and saying, hey, man, are you using that leaf blower you bought the other day? I really need it, you know? But think about the life of Jesus. Jesus was always borrowing stuff. I mean, here was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, you know, God incarnate. And yet, we read the story of Jesus, and when he needed a place where he could stand, he borrowed a boat, and they pushed it out, and he preached to the masses. You know, when he needed to feed that masses, what did he do? He found some kid, and he took this kid's fish and bread. Well, he borrowed it, you know. Think about the donkey that he rode into Jerusalem in his triumphant entry. Where did he get the donkey? He borrowed the donkey. And what about even his tomb? They laid him in a tomb. I mean, he said, hey, I'm going to give it back to you in three days. But he still had to borrow the tomb. <laughs> Listen to what money says. Because money says, hey, uh, don't you feel good when you get new stuff? Happy. Don't you feel security when you have lots of me in the bank? Safe. Don't you really believe that you can rest if you have plenty of me? Power. Does any of this sound familiar? Because those are all the things that the gospel says is true for us in Christ. That Christ gives us true happiness. He gives us true security. He gives us true rest. He gives us true power. That's why in Ephesians, Paul is saying, hey, I prayed that the eyes of your heart would be open. In other words, he's saying, wake up. Look and see. And what does he want you to see? The power, the hope, and the riches that are yours through Jesus Christ. He says, do you have any confusion about what that power is? He says, it's the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. See, what I'm trying to help you see is that this struggle of money and God, it's really a war of affections. There is a war going on, a war for your heart. And this war is being committed, com competed against two opposing gods. It's not about what you do. The Christian life isn't as much about your deeds. It's not about this giant scale of here are the good deeds, here are my sins, and which is going to weigh out the other. Jesus isn't just trying to get you to be a better person. Jesus, did, Jesus didn't just come and infuse in your life so that, so that you could do good things. Jesus is looking for worshipers because that's what the Father is looking for. It's about worship. Because here's the truth. What I worship, I serve. What I serve, I give my life to. Now let's go back to worship. What I worship, I love. What I love, I worship.
What I worship, I serve. What I serve, I give my life to. You with me? So let's have, can we do a little experiment? And uh, let's find out what do you love? You ready for this? All right, here we go. What do you daydream about? <clears throat> I'm going to ask you four questions. All right? Uh, if you can, write them down and uh, destroy your afternoon by thinking about them. What do you daydream about? What does your mind dwell on when it doesn't have to dwell on anything? Where does your mind go? In other words, here's another way of asking it. What are your fantasies? Do you think that when I think about where my mind goes, when it doesn't have to go anywhere else, is that telling me something about the affections of my heart? Is it telling me about my heart's love? Where does your mind go? Second question. Where are your uncontrollable emotions? When do emotions come crashing into your life? Whatever emotion it is, when do they come crashing into your life uncontrollably? You pull those up and you look underneath those uncontrollable emotions, guess what it's going to show you? What you love. Last week, uh, I was at Home Depot, and guess what I was there to buy? Leaf blower. You got it. And so I'm buying this leaf blower, and I'm, I'm checking out through self-checkout because I'm a man, and that's what men do. You know? And so... I'm checking it out, and they go, they ask that question that I love that question. Do you want money back? I'm like, yes, I want money back. I always want money back, you know? And so I press, yeah, give me 40 bucks, because that's what men get is 40 bucks. I'm at Home Depot, you know? Oh, oh, you know? And so just when I hit yes, my phone rang. And a friend of mine's on the phone. Hey, man, what's going on? Hey, we up for lunch today? Yeah, hey, okay, I've got to go. I just got to get this because I'm at Home Depot. Uh, uh, and I'll, man, I'm coming to meet you. So I get out of there and I get in my truck and I'm driving to go meet him to uh, lunch. And guess what I realized? I forgot my 40 bucks because that's what men do. <laughs> and so I call my buddy and go, hey, man, I'm going to be late because I got to turn around because. I got my money's back at Home Depot, and I got to go get it. So I'm, I'm flying through traffic, you know. Wah, you know, get out of the way. Get out of the way. My money's at stake, you know. And so I come flying into Home Depot. I don't even park. I just pull up to, like, I've earned the right to pull up right to where the registers are. And I got to run it in, and there's the girl that, you know, kind of works the, uh, the self-checkout counter. And I run up to her, and I go, hey, I was just in here five minutes ago. And I, I pressed money back, 40 bucks. I forgot to get it. I don't see it's not there. Uh, did somebody come and turn it into you and say, hey, somebody forgot this? And she, what do you think she said? She laughed first. And she goes, I'm afraid not. And I said, empty your pockets right here. No, I didn't. I didn't. All right. I'm sure she was honest, right? But you know what, you know what went through my mind and then came out of my mouth? Isn't that just like people? I was upset. Like, somebody stole my money. I'm walking out to the truck, and uh, the Lord says, hey, you know that sermon that you're giving this Sunday? Uh, that thing that you're working on and how upset you are right now because nobody had the integrity 
to, uh, to find 60 when they pressed yes for only 20, and they're throwing a party with their friends, and they didn't turn your money in. Uh, is that your money? Well, yes. Really? Where are your uncontrollable emotions? Where do you hurt most spontaneously? Where do you react without thinking? Does that reveal what you really love? Question three. I told you it'd wreck your afternoon. It's a simple question. No illustration required. What do you spend your money on most effortlessly? Where does your money go without you thinking? That's a no-brainer. Does that show what you love? Question number four. What are your nightmares? What are your nightmares? Here's an interesting thing, because if you find your fears, you're going to find where your hope is. Where you find what your hope's in, you find what you love. When you find what you love, you find what you worship. When you find what you worship, you find what you serve. When you find what you serve, you find what your life is wrapped around. What are you afraid of? If you're like me, if you take some time and really examine these four things, you're going to step back and go, I'm a mess. Man, I've got these things that my heart, I've put in front of my heart and said treasure, and my heart said, okay, and I've got them everywhere. Maybe that's why Jesus is the author of transformation. Maybe that's why Jesus gives us faith. Maybe that's why Jesus knew that we could never save ourselves. That's why Jesus knew, left on our own, we would destroy our lives. We wouldn't turn it into this beautiful thing. And so Jesus comes crashing into our world. That's why Jesus has to give us everything we need for life and godliness, because we're so used to trying to grab other things, thinking they're going to give us life. That's why this passage in 2 Corinthians is so powerful. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, Jesus knew that without a Savior, we would live in this world telling our heart to wrap it around all these other idols, and we would actually think, I'm rich. I got it all. And yet Jesus knew we were in poverty. And so Jesus, who truly was rich, became poor and came and walked among us so that through his riches, our poverty would be changed into riches. That's why it says that he who knew no sin actually became our sin. He became our false understanding of riches so that he could actually give us his righteousness and we become the righteousness of God. Jesus wants to wake us up from the empty idols of money that have stolen the affections of our heart. Is money bad? No. Is my sexuality bad? No, it's beautiful. You know, are relationships bad? No, are jobs bad? Are cars bad? Are boats bad? Yes, they are. Fast ones. You know, none of these things are bad. They're just things. But I have to be on the guard because I can turn all those things into the things that gain my affection and steal away from me my affection for Christ. They become the things that I worship rather than sitting 
and, and living in that I've been given everything for life and godliness, understanding that through participation with the divine. Listen to what Jesus had to say about some of these things. Because what I want you to imagine is, is that Jesus is fighting for us. He's fighting for our hearts. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, I've got to use an illustration here. You know, Gollum uh, actually was a hobbit at one time. But it was his love for the ring, which he called precious, that actually converted him and changed him. It was greed that changed him into Gollum. You know, and it's a great picture by Tolkien that that's what greed does over time. Give it enough time, it morphs us to where we're not even recognizable any longer as what we were created to be. And so whenever we watch that, that movie, we're grossed out. We're like, ah, I hate that character. You know, it's, I would never want to be that character. Nobody ever identifies with Gollum, you know, when you watch that movie. We're always, you know... Aragorn or somebody, you know, with swords. We never. So who did you relate with most in that movie? You know, I don't know, Gollum, when he's eating that raw fish. I thought, sushi, yeah, we're like, you know. Nobody does because we never see ourselves as prisoners of our own greed. We never see ourselves morphed into the things that we worship because we all have kind of a blind eye to our own heart. And so the Lord has to come in and say, wake up. Listen to how he wakes us up. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation. Is that true? Well, think about this. Is, what is he talking about if you want to get rich? Isn't he talking about desire now? Isn't he talking about the subtle process of moving something in front of your heart and saying to your heart, want that, want that. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and traps and in many foolish and harmful desires. See, Jesus is talking about the heart that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Love. See what Jesus is talking about? He's not talking about how you're going to handle money or how not you're going to handle money. He's not giving us rules and regulations about do this and I'll like what you're doing, do this and I won't like what you're doing. Jesus is talking about what you love because he knows what you love you will worship and what you worship you will serve. And what you serve will mark your life. Hebrews chapter 13, it says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money. There it is again, talking about the heart, talking about the desire. And be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, hey guys, don't put money in this place where you're saying to your heart, wrap yourself around that. Rather, step back from that and be content with what you have. Because let me ask you this question. Um, those of you that have been in church for a while, is everything you have from the Lord? We need an answer. Okay, so those of you that are new to this church thing, that's what they actually believe. Everything we have is from the Lord. Does that mean that everything you don't have is because the Lord has made the decision not to give it to you? Uh-oh. Wait a minute. I don't like that. Does that mean that what I don't have in my life right now, whether it's stuff, whether it's relationships, whether it's things, the Lord has said, yeah, that's not for you just now. And if I'm going to believe that, 
then what do I have to know is certain if I'm going to participate with the divine in that truth? Boom, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. See, Jesus is calling us to live in a dangerous place because he's calling us to wrap our affections around something other than the things that this world wraps itself around. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. By the way, we're all rich here. Uh, by the world standard, it's ridiculous how rich we are. Not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God. You see this, this competition for the heart, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Is that the whole verse? Okay. You see the competition for the heart? Because he's saying what we love, we worship. What we worship, we serve. What we serve defines how we live. So what do we do? Okay, here we go. I'm about to challenge you with something. Because I'm, I'm about to challenge you to peel your hands away from your love of money. <laughs> you got it. I got it. We got it. And begin to let your eyes begin to see a different reality, a different affection. And I want to read you a story. This is in Luke chapter 16. This is actually a, uh, kind of a bizarre story because Jesus is telling this story. And listen to what he says. He says, well, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions, so he called him in and asked him, What is this? I hear about you. Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Let me tell you what's going on. So this guy's working for his boss, and he's managing, but he's cheating. Like He's cheating his boss. Like, this is not an ethical guy. The boss finds out about this manager, calls him in and says, hey, what are you doing, dude? You're stealing from me. You're fired. Okay, that's how the story starts. The manager says to himself, what shall I do now? The guy's lost his job. Uh-oh. I blew it. And he says, my master's taking my job away. I'm not strong enough to dig a ditch, and, and I'm too proud to beg in the streets. So what does he say? I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he's thinking, he's scheming, and he's like, oh, wait. Okay, I'm about to lose my job, my means of income. I don't have another way to get another job. You know, I'm not going to beg, and I'm not going to dig a ditch, so what am I going to do? I got it. And this plan I got is going to open doors for me. So he calls in each one of his master's debtors. Get this? He starts calling in all the people that owe his former boss money. He still has the books in his lap. And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. I don't know if that's a lot, but I, I don't Anyway, and the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked a second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. So look what he's doing. His last act as manager is actually calling in these people that owe his boss money, and he goes, dude, I'm about to give you the deal of a lifetime. I'm cutting your bill in half. What you owed my master, cut it in half. Now, we can talk about Jewish laws, and we can talk about usury laws, and how, anyway, we, you can go study all that. It's amazing. You should study that. But the point of the story is, 
This guy is wheeling and dealing as his last act as manager to try to work things to his benefit. Well, the master found out what was going on, and what do you think he did? He commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. He's like, dude, kudos. You are a schemer. Why am I getting rid of you? You know, and then for the people of this world, now listen, now Jesus has gone from the story to you. Now listen to what he has to say to you. For the schemers, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. By the way, that's us. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwelling. What is he talking about? Jesus is saying, let me tell you the story about a cheating manager who then when he gets caught and he's fired, the last thing he did was he cheated even more so that people would open their house to him when he was out on the streets. And Jesus is saying, yeah, and then go, go be like that. I mean, Jesus is commending this guy. What's going on here? Jesus is using this extreme example to show us an extreme reality. You ever seen uh, the movie or the story of Scrooge where the angels or the, uh, the ghosts come and visit him? And what happens after the last ghost visits him and he kicks open the window uh, of his house and looks down and sees the boy on the street? What does he say to him? What day is it? And when the boy says, it's Christmas Day, what does he do? Yeah, he begins to jump up and down. Because what we witness in this story is a schemer who his whole life was was dedicated to the imagination of creatively trying to figure out how to work everything to his advantage. And he was good at it. He became wealthy. In a night of grace where he was given a second chance. Now, all this didn't stop, did it? It didn't stop. The next morning, this right here got directed to people. And he started scheming about, how can I give it away? How can I help people? How can my life now be so intentional that it benefits others around me? So beneficial to the degree that when it talks about you make friends in heaven, that I'm going to give so generously to the work of God's kingdom because I serve him. I'm going to give to his agenda because I love him, I worship him, I serve him, and who I serve impacts my life. That there are actually going to be people in heaven that when I come into heaven, they're going to be like high-fiving me. Like, hey, man, dude, when you gave that money to send that extra kid to camp, guess what? That was me. I came into the Lord of that camp. Thank you. That was awesome. Or, you know, hey, well, you know, when you did this or you did that or when you were generous, man, and the angels are like, ah, oh, dude, that was awesome. That was so shrewd. I couldn't believe nobody ever knew you ever did that. Yes, kudos. That's what Jesus is talking about. Having such a changed perspective, such a changed affection to where I begin to understand my gifts, my time, my talent, everything now is with an eye for the kingdom of God. 
because he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. How do we do that? 2 Corinthians 3, about to wrap this up. I only have 12 more pages of notes. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, now remember, where your treasure is, your heart will wrap around it. What we put in front of our heart. For we, with who unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I put Jesus right in front of my heart, and my heart wraps itself around that treasure and is transformed from glory to glory. You see the beauty of that? And what was my Jesus like? He who was rich became poor so that we who are poor could become rich. What happens when my heart wraps around that Savior? Guess what? (laughs) I start scheming about, Lord, how do you want to work in other people's lives? Money has stopped becoming my God. And my true God now becomes my Savior. How do we know that we're changing? Well, it's pretty simple. How do you scheme in giving your money away? Whose is it? Yours or his? All right, I'm going to close with this uh, crazy story. There was a guy that uh, was probably the most uh, popular um, sports figure in England in the early 1800s. He was actually a cricket player. Has anybody ever played cricket? Is it a real sport? All right, didn't offend anybody. All right, you know, one cricket player in the back. All right, but this guy, trust me, cricket is kind of tough. They're throwing hard things at each other, and um, and you're trying to hit it. Um, and this guy was good at it. He was really good, and he should have been good because get this. This is what his name was. His they called him CT because that was his initials. But anybody that goes by initials, that's like, like that, that's just cool. Guys like that, like, you know, JR, CT, you know. And his last name, I'm not making this up. This is for real. His last name was Stud. CT Stud. That's his name. A lot to live up to. Well, he was this great athlete. He, was, he had to be. He was CT Stud. And, uh, man, somebody shared with him the story of Jesus. Jesus actually came into his life. C.T. said, Lord, you're going to take center place in my life, and I'm going to let my heart's affection wrap itself around you. And guess what he did? This is back in the early 1800s. This is crazy. But C.T. said, you know what? Lord, I'm giving up, I'm giving up sports because you're, you're calling me to China. Now, is there anything wrong with staying in sports? Not at all, you know? But God said, follow me. And C.T. said, well, of course I will. Because my affections have been wrapped around you. I worship what I have affection for. I serve what I worship. And what I serve changes my life. And so he goes to China. Let me tell you something interesting about C.T. C.T., his dad, crazy rich. Like, stupid rich. Like, ridiculous rich. While he was in China, he got a message to him. Dad's died. So C.T. is is really grieving. Oh, and by the way, dad's left you everything. Uh, CT, poor little China missionary, plays a mean cricket game, is worth millions. You know what he does? <laughs> I'm in my life calling. Give it all away. Uh, except, 
He was engaged to be married. He said, give 5% of it to my fiance. He is a stud. Guess what she did with it? Give it all away. She was a stud too. Or became a stud. <laughs> hey, guys, I am not standing up here telling you that Jesus is telling you to give it all away. Matter of fact, Jesus has made some of you rich. In fact, in many ways, he's made us all rich. What I'm talking about is the affections of our heart. And I'm, what I'm asking you is, what kind of things are going on in that man's heart to where his affection was so detached from the world that he grew up in that he was now in China saying, I'm content with what I have, which is nothing. That's what I'm talking about. Your affections, what do you love? Because if you love the wrong things, trust me, hang on. It is a horrible ride because your heart was not made to live and love the wrong things. You were made for the Lord, and your heart will not find its peace in life until it rests fully in Him. And that's what Jesus is fighting for inside of you. And when that happens, it changes what you love. And when you change what you love, it changes what you do. And that's what's happened in CT's life. Listen to this quote. This quote is so ridiculous, all right? This comes from somebody. You have to have the name Stud to make this quote, all right? Let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news that our departure from the field of battle. I bet he shopped at Home Depot. All I'm saying, guys, is do you see? Do you see the affections? The, the kind of radical claims that love makes when it's wrapped itself around another. I'll catch a grenade for you. Yeah. I'll go to a cross for you. I'll rise again for you. Will you let your heart wrap around that? See, the reason that we needed to talk about this first is because the next two sermons are going to tick you off if your heart is still so attached to your money that all you're going to hear the next two weeks is mine. See, if we approach money like a high schooler approaches sex, to where all they want to know is how much can I get away with before I sin, you know? And we, we take money and say, just how much do I have to give before I can do what I want with the rest of it? That's a heart that's saying mine. And when we step over and say yours, Repentance, Lord, open our eyes. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. We are messes, Lord. I, we, Lord, I just laugh because I, it's like it's like a big ball of fishing line that's just all tangled up together. That our hearts can feel like that sometimes, and we don't know how to unravel them. And Lord. All we can do sometimes is just confess to you that I've spent a lot of time loving the wrong things. I've spent so much time putting, putting the wrong treasure in front of my heart that I'm not even sure I know how to get back to what we've talked about this morning. But Jesus, I'm glad you do. I'm glad that, Lord, uh, the hardest prayer is often the simplest prayer and is definitely the most powerful, which is help. So, Lord, I pray for my friends here. 
Um, I think the world is yet to see what a community could look like that puts you at the center of their affections. So, Lord, change us. As we sing, Lord, and as we respond, Lord, would you begin to come and send your Holy Spirit to comfort us, but also, Lord, uh, to stir in us the kind of affections that we just saw in C.T. Stud that don't have to be explained, but certainly come from a deep place of desire. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.